As the racing season winds down, the separation season begins. Now, when I say separation season, I don't mean the season to separate yourself from racing, although that's exactly what many of your competitors are doing. And that provides an opportunity for you to separate from the pack. Within This Is Bracket Racing Elite, we focus on growth year-round, but the gains, they're, they're small, they're incremental during race season for two reasons. Number one, because your attention as a racer is split, right? You've got upkeep, maintenance, travel, all the things involved with the racing season, in addition to a focus on your own growth. And because other racers are working hard at that time too. It's this time of year, this separation season, where putting in the work can really allow you a leg up on the competition. If you're serious about doing just that, and you'd like to surround yourself with a group of knowledgeable trainers and accountable peers with the tools, the resources, the wisdom to help you take that next step, and perhaps even with the occasional kick in the pants to keep you on track, this is Bracket Racing Elite is the answer. We've helped thousands of racers just like you take the next step toward becoming the best version of themselves on the racetrack. Elite can help you do the same. Enrollment is open as of Monday, November 27th, and it closes December 8th. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite. Drag Racing Podcast, where we sometimes discuss, well, last week we discussed waxing the balls, Cole Castile, Stephanie Bustin' Nass, and more. I'm joy. I, my name is Luke Bogacki. I am joined, as usual, by my co-host, Big Jed, Jared Pennington. Big Jed, how are you on this beautiful Tuesday evening? I am well. Thank you for asking. Um, certainly... Um beautiful here in Alabama. Hopefully it is as well for you in Southern Illinois. And um just excited, man. It's uh it's gonna be a good show. We've got a lot of great stuff to talk about. And as always, it's all of the stuff that matters in sportsman racing right now. So I'm uh, I'm excited, bro. I'm live on the Sportsman Drag Racing Facebook, Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast Facebook page. Uh, we're going to try to get back into our normal routine of doing this every Tuesday evening. So you can set your calendar, join us there. Welcome also to those of you listening via traditional means on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast feed. Big Jed, you spent at least a portion of the weekend, a few hours south, at the richest event on the calendar, at least for the weekend, at least for this time of year, the Great American $500,000 guaranteed event at Montgomery Motorsports Dragway. Is that right? Montgomery International, Montgomery International Dragway. Yeah. It's changed names too much lately. Montgomery International Dragway. And you witnessed what from the outside looked to be Stephen Champ McCrory's most impressive feat to date. Is that hyperbole? This is a guy that's been extremely successful but he just won a 500 grander in a 730 door car. Was it as impressive from your vantage point as it was for those of us watching on from home? Yeah, Luke, um, you know, I even told Champ the next day, I said, man, I've, I've seen you do some impressive stuff. And he is, he's impressive. He, you know, he'll hold five, six numbers sometimes and, you know, even getting chased and do his thing. But I told him, that's probably the most impressive thing I've seen him do. Uh, you know, I, his dial-in moved pr 
probably four, maybe four to five hundreds from start to finish. Obviously holding some during the day to to protect himself in the what was a 740 car at the time and then dialing it in the, you know, the mid to upper 30s as the, the late rounds came and setting it down to dead on. Looked like I, I'm not sure if he was making time shots there at the end, but looked like he was definitely much more honest, if anything, and uh and still going dead on. Very impressive performance by Chi Luke. I, I, I honestly feel like from my view, that's the most impressive driving I've seen him do. And not just because of the the strategy he was using. You know, let's just be honest. The weapon was very unconventional. And, uh, you know, the the strategy, I guess, paired with the, the car of choice is a, a combination that not many has the, has the kahunas to go out there and try to win with. And Champ works hard on his program, and he took a very competitive car. I don't want to make it sound like it wasn't competitive. Took a very competitive car out there, but when you couple a strategy of of holding numbers and driving the finish line with a with a car that's 50 to 60, sometimes maybe even close to 70 miles per hour slower than some of your opponents, and you're getting it done, it's freaking impressive down this road because I mean champ's awesome we've known that for a long time we're two years removed from his runner-up finish at the great american guaranteed million at the same facility uh, everybody remembers tyler bohannon holding the trophy at the end of that race it was tyler and champ in that final round this time around he wins the 500 grander again in a 730 door car it was the slowest car on the property and i'm just assuming jed it's the slowest car on the property by like half a second like was there anyone else out uh, Luke, there was a Chevette there dialed 701. I've lost Jed. It was great timing. Jed's locked up. All right. So where I was going to go with this was it feels like, and again, I don't, I don't, I don't want to necessarily operate in hyperbole, but this feels like one of those things that's like a legacy cementing win for Champ. I mean, when we look back on this, when when whoever is in Jed and I's shoes 20 years from now, right? Pontificating about sportsman drag racing and the annals of history. My assumption is that they're going to be debating like the legacy of, let's say, Stephen McCrory and Corey Galitti. And 20 years from now, they're going to come back and go, you remember Champ won that freaking million dollar race in the slowest car on the property by half a second? Like, I feel like this is one of those things that is like, a legacy defining victory. So I, I, I'm anxious to get Jed back on. I'll be honest, like my personal takeaway. And I just know from what Jed shared in the past, like we've got a, a similar reverence for, for Steven, for champ. Like I was just super happy for him. I have no idea if he put himself into this race, but obviously he's driving his own race car. And this is life-changing type money. Like I, I hope that he, that he entered himself and that this is the type of money that could like go pay off your house or, you know what I mean? <laughs> like I, just as someone from a, a similar ilk, like I understand what it, what it's like to dedicate the majority of your life to this pursuit. And I feel like this was the opportunity for, for it to pay off in a big, big way financially. So I, I hope that that champ got the, the fruits, all the fruits of that labor, but just happy for him, not exclusively from a financial standpoint, but, you know, just from a, man, this is like the, the cherry on the top, so to speak, the icing on the cake of what's been an incredible career. And obviously 
um, there's there's a lot more to come. Zooming out just a little bit, two of the richest purses of the season now between this event this past weekend and the SFG 1.1 million back in the summer. This weekend, Champ won the race in the slowest car on the property. Four months ago, Travis Laster won that race with the fastest car on the property. I guess it. I've been making a, a, a big deal recently in National Dragster and over on the Daily Driver podcast about the perfect weapon. I guess those two kind of blow all of my arguments out of the water. I guess it maybe it does prove one point that I made in those rants that the the perfect weapon ultimately is what you make it, right? You ask Travis last year, like, oh, it's an advantage to be the fastest car in the field. You ask Champ, maybe you'd say it's an advantage to be the slowest, right? And you've got Wes May and Troy Williams Jr. and everybody else in between, everybody would say like, hey, what the reason that I'm racing the car that I'm racing is because it's the perfect weapon or perhaps it's the perfect weapon because it's the car that I'm racing, right? Like, I think there's something to be said on both fronts. Um, I'll go down a, a little bit different road here too. And I don't know that this is necessarily applicable to Champ because I agree with everything that Jed just said. Like he's got a very, very unique set of skills. And as good as he is at every facet of our game, I would argue, and I think I think he would actually agree that he hangs his hat on the finish line. Like, I think that's probably where the bulk of his skills lies. So what I'm about to say, Champ helps bring to the forefront, but I don't necessarily know how much it applies to him. There is an argument, like most of us just assume that the faster car has at least a slight advantage and that the slowest car in the field would then have an inherent disadvantage. And the reason we assume that is because the majority of us as racers are more comfortable, more adept, like have a higher degree of confidence at the finish line as the faster car. And so if you were to take a, let's take Champ's Firebird, like I'm sure that it wouldn't take a tremendous um, amount of, of work or investment to make that car go 650, 660, right? Just like it wouldn't be a big deal for a racer like Chris Gerritsen to run a traditional throttle stop in super comp. And instead of going 890 at 115, he would probably go 890 at 160, right? Um, the If they were to do that by like more traditional means, they would still be one of the slower cars in the category. It wouldn't be as dramatic, but they would still be getting chased. So for most of us, we would feel like that's a slight disadvantage as we approach the finish line. Um, and I think maybe even more important than that, oftentimes, more often than not, they would be getting chased by an opponent that's faster than them, but maybe not significantly faster, anywhere from, let's say, five mile an hour to 25, 30 mile an hour faster. And I think most of us would agree that that's where we or the majority of racers are most comfortable, right? So in that instance, as the slower car, we're putting ourselves in a position where we're probably not quite as comfortable at the finish line. And yet, we're putting our opponents in a position where they're extremely comfortable. What racers like Champ in this case, like Chris Gerritsen in Supercomp, and there are there are other um, um, examples of this, are doing is they're leaning into the slow. Like, hey, I'm going to take slow and I'm going to make it slower. And what that does is it makes those opponents in the other lane 
that much faster, it makes them, you can get slow enough that the opponents in the other lane, Troy Olsonowski is another example of this. That's the one I was reaching for when we were talking about what he did at the Jags All-Stars a couple of weeks ago. Um, it puts that opponent in the other lane where they're coming on you at such a rate of speed that now they're not particularly comfortable, confident, adept at the finish line. And it kind of mitigates that. So I guess my point is, is if you're on the slower end of the field, and maybe you're not as comfortable or as confident driving the finish line as the slower car, lean into that. Like, don't allow your opponents to have the same advantage. Go go slow, slow, slow. And then you make it to where you're back in what I assume many racers would consider their wheelhouse. Like, look, I can have a good light. I can match the dial in. If you go slow enough, you make it a package race against everybody. And you're just betting like, look, I can have a better package. So again, I don't know how necessarily that applies directly to what Champ was doing in Montgomery. But I can see the argument for if you've got a car that's going to be mid-pack to slow-pack, like I can see the argument for leaning into that and saying, no, I'm just going to go the other way. I'm going to be the slowest son bitch at the track. And I think there's an advantage there. I don't know how much of that you caught, Jet. Welcome back. But it's, I, was, I was pontificating on what might be the advantage, if you will, to really, to, to not only going slow, but going slowest. Yeah, Luke, obviously there there's definitely some, some thoughts. I caught a, a fair amount of what you were saying. Some definitely some thoughts along those lines. Obviously, you you take away any advantage of driving out of the windshield when you separate yourself by that kind of speed and ET. So uh, racers definitely have to get a little more honest. They uh, aren't sure exactly what they're seeing either, because obviously that that closure rate is difficult whether you're in front or behind. And I, I'm sure that Champ does that intentionally. I mean, let's be honest, Champ could could make the car go 650 if he wanted to, make go 620 if he wanted to. So he's he's doing that for a reason. It's partially sentimental. Uh, you know, that that car's been in there. He has one with it, nothing on like he just did on this stage. So there's several reasons why he's doing it, but definitely uh, you take the whole side out of it. Champ understands that running 730s and 40s is an advantage if you let go on time and you do what you're supposed to do on the racetrack and you take a competitive car to the track. Obviously, running those kind of times, you don't see cars being very competitive. Champ works hard on his program. He's got it leaves like a pig. It, it just, you know, just kind of labors out there. It's probably got a loose converter for what its combination is. And he makes it work. You know, he is uh, he's committed to that car. And it was a blast watching him do what he did. And I think certainly uh, all the things you discussed from an advantageous standpoint apply. And it's you you touched on another point too that I don't think would apply to everyone that straps into a 730 car, but I definitely think applies to someone with the talent level of a Stephen McCrory. And that's the simple fact that at least on the door car side of things, champ style seven high 30s, 740, whatever the case may be, the vast majority of his opponents through the first what five, six, seven rounds are dialed 580 to 630. So to your point. Whoever that opponent is, they get that look one time, right? That that 92 mile an hour against 110, 115, once. Champ gets to look at that six times in a row. And you can't tell me by like third round, he's not pretty comfortable with, you know? So I, I do think there's something to be said there. Like you're throwing out a look that they're not seeing. And, it, and essentially you're seeing the same thing every round to the extent that you can drive the finish line and something like that. Um, I think that 
definitely plays into someone like Champ's hands. Very good point, Luke. It's obvious that that what you're the logic you're applying to to the closure rate and the the view that he has versus the view that others have is spot on. Um, he he is very comfortable out there in that car. Um, he's made a lot of laps. He's he's got you know a good understanding of where he should be versus where they should be. Is he seeing a few thou here and there? Absolutely not. He's not, you know, you have to be superhuman to do that. But he understands the track position and where he should be versus where they should be to the point where it helps him determine if any change in his strategy is needed or if his strategy will work. And it's obvious that uh, that he's got it figured out pretty darn well. We talked about Jeff Verdi in 2018 and the Verdi effect, right? We talked about the potential for a Donny Hagar effect that comes in low budget operation, grassroots racer, all the way to the top. Does that impact the the every man to to attend more races like the OG Million in 2024 moving forward? Like, do we see a spike in attendance because more people? Uh, Hagar Hagar illustrated what's possible, right, for the rest of us. I think if there's any truth to that, I think this could actually further it, right? Like, great. obviously, not everyone is Stephen McCrory, but Champ just won this race in a car that all due respect all the way around. I think it's fair to say that more than a handful of racers on the premises in Montgomery had more money invested in their pit vehicle than Champ had in this Firebird that won the 500 grander. That resonates, does it not? It it does to an extent, Luke. Um, you know, the, the challenge is the strategy that you have to use in a car, a typical 740 car, to get yourself through those early rounds till you get that settled in effect, till the weather's stabilized and you you're making runs in close enough intervals that you know you've got some consistency in your car and your program. So not many people are willing to, not many people can do that. So I think that um, it definitely resonates and it definitely could impact the amount of seven second cars that we see at these races. But again, I think it uh, in today's racing, it requires somebody with a lot of tools in the bag and the willingness to, to use them and apply them. And very few people have what obviously what champ has and, and some others. So I, uh, I don't know that we'll see uh, a lot of normal seven second cars running, but you might see some cars that are a little faster, uh, set it up to where it runs in the sevens and you get that mile per hour. We had, we had one of those. There was a, there was a Chevette there. That's what I was saying before I froze up and had to reboot, but okay. there was a Chevette there about 701, 702, and uh, and he had some kind of funky throttle stop set up, and that thing kicked wide open in the last what seemed like a hundred feet, and you know he'd go seven O's at like a hundred and one. So you could see some cars with a little more power like to change that view for the racer they're racing against, but still have enough mile per hour that it's it's tricky. It it also levels the the playing field from a from a closure rate and view standpoint. So hopefully we see some more people try that strategy. The, the little Chevette was fun to watch. Not much fun to race. I had to race him at the Mike Smith race and I, I had him covered up. Didn't know the throttle stop thing, had him covered up and 
and was, you know, rolling him through at a very comfortable number, but knowing I had killed plenty. And then it just is like, whoa, who I cut that close. I didn't mean to cut that close. I get my ticket and I took fourth out. And, you know, I'm pounding my chest like, oh, boy, you just did freaking you made a hero run there. That was awesome. And then I watched him the next round. I went, oh, OK, OK. Well, had, I had, figured, figured it out on the ticket. Like, Whoa. Had his wind light come on. Do you think he'd have given you a finger wag? <laughs> he should have, because that's exactly <laughs> what I would have deserved out there kicking the gas and patting on him get there. <laughs> Dad, we had, when we were discussing this yesterday on our on our group text, I asked for takeaways from the event from someone that was there, and you said one of the one of the things that you said was Montgomery's back. How much did this facility and the new ownership regime need for this event to go smoothly and be the home run that it appears to have been? Look, I can't put into words uh, how bad they needed this. Obviously. Not necessarily anyone's fault, but the, the place had gotten a bad reputation for just crap going wrong. And it was, you know, unfortunate as it was. And again, certainly not anyone's fault, but, you know, you, you have to fix those things. Uh, whether it's if, if you go looking for whose fault it is, sometimes you forget to, to look at how you fix it. And that uh, that was what Montgomery had. It's it's obvious the million left there uh, after two or three years of repeated issues and just never seeming to be able to to get over the hump. So the facility needed it so bad. And just having been there, Luke, and you know uh, some people might take this as blowing a little smoke, but having been there and just living through normal activities. Everybody's going about their job extremely well. The, the promotion team and the, the track staff were hand in hand. I don't think we've had that. Again, you can blame that on any or all sides, but we had it this weekend. Both staffs working closely together and with the common goal of customer experience, customer satisfaction. And uh, and I was very impressed, very impressed. I, I certainly believe that's the premier facility in the state of Alabama and possibly even in the southeast area now. And and I'm looking for really big things out of Montgomery International Dragway. Brad Wheeler and his staff are just 100 percent committed to being as close to excellent as they can be down there. And um, and that facility gained a lot of traction in the last couple of weeks is the story so it would it be easy to and, and kind of lazy to step back from this and say look at that more door cars outside of champ this was a dragster dominated event big jed like we kind of got back to what at least i would more expect we touched on it last week i think we recorded during the middle of the event Cal Cotrera defeated Dylan Coggins in the Tuesday dragster race. That's an all dragster final. Nick Brenner defeated Kurt Harvey in Wednesday's 40 grander. That's an all dragster final. Kurt Harvey came back the very next day, Big Jed, while we were recording, won Thursday's 40 grander over Troy Williams Jr. T-Dub was in the truck. So Troy Williams Jr. and Champ were the only two door cars to advance to the final. Champ got that $500,000 win over the always tough Will Holloman. Casey Prince closed the weekend with a $40,000 victory over Timmy Smith, yet another all-dragster final. Are we seeing, is there any more to take away from the weekend than that big dragster domination? A little bit overdue, I think. Like, I don't expect dragsters to be in 
what was it, eight of 10 finals necessarily going forward. But the way things had been just constantly dominated by door cars, it seems like that's kind of a, a bit of a course correction that was overdue. Uh, it does somewhat seem that way, Luke. Uh, you know, again, having having been there and watched the action actually racing in it, I can tell you it was a little challenging in terms of wind. Uh, us door cars, were, there were runs where we had quite a bit of wind blowing on the back bumper, and then there were runs where the flag would sit still. Um, obviously, we got well into the night in the main event, and that those conditions changed a fair amount uh, just in terms of humidity. Top of my car was soaking wet, was having to having to wipe it off constantly because, you know, my driver, John Siegel, it was in my car on the other entry, got to, to eight cars and uh, performed really well. So he kept us up late just watching that, that weather change. I know had somewhat of an impact on everybody. That particular night of the main event is what makes Champ's performance even more impressive is because for the 440 and 450 dragsters, that's not quite as much of a challenge to get it dialed in correctly as it is for the door cars. And then you throw 730s on top of that makes it even more challenging. But aside from that, the dragster race may be a little pissed off. They could have been just a little pissed off, Luke. We've been talking about door cars a lot, and they got some rain down there and had to had to scrape things. And they decided that um, that they were going to have dragsters go out first. I was about to say, at least the one day I watched dragsters went first. That might have pissed some of them off in itself. Yeah, so I think they got a little angry, <laughs> and, uh, and, and rightfully so, because we live it. Us door car guys live it on a regular basis, so we understand. But um, they definitely took the, took it out on on the door car side, uh, you know. As freaking obviously, the, some of those winners were future Hall of Famers. But uh, it was a talented, talented field, and the racing was very serious. And the dragster racers, they came to play. On last week's show, Big Jed, we we batted around a couple of, uh, of potential drivers of the year for the 2023 season because it feels like the first time in in recent history that that's not an obvious like shoe in driver of the year you could make an argument for a handful or more racers this season i'm going to make a statement big jet as a bit of a thought experiment following the weekend i want you to shoot holes in it donnie hagar driver of the year Luke, hang on i'm going to have to get bigger bullets than what i what i've got <laughs> to shoot holes in this cuz um you know we know he's the story to... of the year is he also the driver of the year uh, you know, the our, our driver of the year uh, doesn't really mean much in terms of, of real awards and accolades, but I think we have a pretty good, <laughs> I think we have a pretty good sense of, of who performs at the highest level throughout the year. And again, while it's very difficult to, to try to shoot down what Donnie has accomplished and, and there's more accomplishment for us to discuss that, that he was able to pull off. Um, you know, the, the traveling racers that do this week in and week out and really, you know, put the miles on themselves and put themselves on, in the most pressure situations week after week and perform at a very high level, those guys probably will get the nod over Donnie. Although, you know, when I look at this, I, I think what if our driver of the year comes from that list that we, we talked about last year and certainly Sugar was way up on the list. 
I think Donnie can do what those guys do, but I'm not sure those guys can do what Donnie do. So that tells you a little bit about what Donnie has been able to, to accomplish and the just the freaking magnitude of the way he has won what he's won, which is as impressive as it can be. But again, I, I, I would tend to lean to people that have eight or 10 final rounds and some wins on the big stage week after week after week throughout the year. And I bring that up, obviously, Jed, as you alluded to this past weekend, Juan Donnie Hagar, he backed up his win, his improbable, his highly talked about victory at the OG Million with another dominating weekend. Donnie went to the WDRA World Finals in uh, Darlington, correct? And won the No Box World Championship. He is the WDRA World Champion. That was a $20,000 windfall. Oh, by the way, he warmed up for that by winning the $5,000 gambler's race the day before. Um I don't, I won't pretend to know a ton about Donnie's season outside of these two weekends, but to simply qualify for an event of this magnitude, like this was track champions only essentially from the WDRA. So he committed his season to the track championship at his home track at US 131 up in Michigan. Um, Obviously had tremendous success there. He's the track champion, earned that bid to Darlington. That's the race that he'd been building up to all season. And he wins that. The one time that he really stepped out of his comfort zone to attend a major event, it was the freaking OG Million, and he won that too. So if he was at the, on that stage every week, would he win all of them? No. Like, I agree with that. But he's pretty much batting a 1,000, Big Dad. It's kind of hard to vote against him at this point. Take away just a really, really impressive performance to back up what he did at the Million. Like, you can say you're riding the confidence high, all of that, but you've also got this tremendous bullseye on you. For Donnie Hagar to come back a month later and basically have what I would I would assume it's safe to say was the second best performance of his career, is that the second most monumental victory on the heels of what he did in St. Louis? Really incredible stuff. I agree wholeheartedly, Luke. Uh, you know, I have a tremendous amount of respect for what Donnie has done, doing it off the bottom bulb, and then obviously competing in the no box category at the WDRA, winning the the world championship there, the five thousand dollar gamblers race prior. But you, you you had it in your notes just a little bit further down. He's the track champ at US 131. I don't think most of us bottom bulb guys in the part of the country that I live in, and maybe even most every part of the country, they've seen their bottom bulb participation slack off and slack off. And, you know, that they think, well, he won track championship 131. You know, there probably wasn't a whole lot of competition. Let me tell you something, brother. That's a great program at US 131. It's a very strong points program and weekly program, and it's got some bad cats in it. I mean, some bad dudes. That's in Michigan, the heart of no box country, where, you know, obviously Ohio, Michigan, that area, but where they, I mean, they lay down killer runs, like killer runs. And there's some great foot breakers up there. Justin Wanamaker, a good friend of mine, that's where he races on a regular basis. So, to accomplish that at 131 is extra special. That's a that's a guy that's had a really really good season. This ain't like winning, you know, in some of these small areas where you get eight nine guys that's chasing the points all year. That's a serious deal. So that says a lot about Donnie and what he accomplished. And then obviously the other accolades and things that we've discussed. 
I mean, driver of the year is definitely something that, that he needs to be considered for. Uh, it's, it's unbelievably impressive. WDRA World Finals. Matthew McDaniel is your Super Pro World Champion. He got the nod over Jared Ledford. Ledford, a year removed from his IHRA World Championship, went back to the final round representing his home track with Best Motorplex, came up one round short of uh, essentially uh, a repeat World Championship. So shouts to Jay Led. Sportsman World Champion Robbie Philbrick over Brandon Cox. Junior Dragster, WDRA National Champion Alex Selleck over a red lighting Evan Muckler, a couple of Michigan-based junior runners there as well. Big day for Michigan out in South Carolina. Yeah, obviously that that says a lot about, or that's a, you know, validates what I just said about 131 and that part of the country. I mean, there's, there's some great racers in Michigan, um, certainly great racers everywhere, but for them to travel that far down and perform that well is a testament to the amount of talent that's up there in that part of the country that, you know, they don't get south very much. Don't We don't see them a whole lot, Luke, but when we do, they make a lot of noise. Rockingham, North Carolina, that's not the last divisional event of the season, but it's the last one east of Las Vegas. <laughs> it's the last time for anybody on our <laughs> side of the country to reasonably earn points. And honestly, we, we've got this a little ways down the show notes because nothing of huge significance happened in Rockingham, at least as it applies to the NHRA World Championship with a couple of exceptions in the sportsman category. The first being Brandon Miller was going to win the top sportsman world championship had he lost first round at Rockingham, but he didn't. He just keeps it rolling, Big Jed. Earns another top sportsman win uh, to just kind of put the icing on the cake for a dream season for Miller. We said that a week ago when he won the top dragster all-stars in Dallas. He goes to Rockingham as his last opportunity to pad that points total, that immense points total. He does just that with the victory. As odd as it may sound, it's still not completely technically mathematically over. Brandon Miller has not yet clinched the top sportsman world championship, but he's about to clinch the top sportsman world championship. This just cements that even further. Uh, so congrats to Brandon Miller. Joe Santangelo, we talked about it last week, Big Jed. You caught me when I said it was over for Riz. I thought he'd mathematically clinched, and you said not. I text Riz to congratulate him, and Kyle Rizzoli said, well, you know, Joe Santangelo, if he runs the table, he could win three more events. He could pass me, so it's not over till it's over. Well, Santangelo had to win three consecutive races in order to get that done. He did not win at Rockingham. I had to dig a little bit, do a little bit of research there to figure out exactly what happened. Turns out he didn't go to Rockingham. <laughs> so it was over a little bit before it was over. Well, obviously, Joe knew that task was mighty tall and uh, the journey was mighty long. And I think that was even as talented as Joe Santangelo is, Double O Joe knows that, uh, that, that that was probably not uh, a, a doable task. So good decision on Joe's part. Boom. For Joe Santangelo, obviously he didn't need the race for any divisional points or top 10 implications or things like that. Having been in that situation, the worst thing that could possibly happen is to win Rockingham because then you feel compelled to drive half, not halfway, all the damn way across the country and give it a shot. Yeah, that's a very good point too, Luke. I didn't really think of it from that perspective, but yeah, that would be, that would put you in a half to position and he didn't want that. But um you know, obviously, and Riz said, hey, he could tie me, you know, if he if he won all three of those races. So that's even more worse is if you win Rockingham, now you got to travel across the country for a couple of weeks trying to get the tie. Eh, I don't think so. I'm in Alabama, Luke. 
and I didn't like kissing my sister that much. So now nah, I'll pass. Another driver that did not, that elected not to make the trip to Rockingham won Vince Mussolino. We talked about the, the potential travel implications for him. He could have potentially earned points at both Rockingham and Las Vegas. That was coming off of his appearance in Dallas last weekend. So Dallas to Rockingham to Vegas. I don't know if you own a map, Big Jed. Rockingham's not on the way to Las Vegas. Vince realized that. He's headed west. He's, he elected to forego the uh, divisional in Rockingham. He will have one final divisional left to try to improve what I believe was a third round loss. That's what he'll be working on in Vegas. He can also still improve in Pomona. So that means that those two races, again, top dragster is not contested at this week's national event in Las Vegas. So it's those two races, the divisional in Las Vegas, the world finals in Pomona, where Vince Mussolino and Clint Geisy will presumably go head to head, if not directly lane to lane. They'll both certainly be trying to improve their score at the same two events. That will be a lot of fun to watch. One other note that I had from Rockingham, Jim Green at Competition Eliminator. He did make the trip to Rockingham, but he fell in round one. That's still not over, but it's looking better and better for one Bruno Massel Jr. Similar to what we just discussed in Top Dragster, Greenheck and Massel will presumably both be in Las Vegas for the final divisional event of the season. That's the only race that matters in Competition Eliminator as it pertains to the points chase. That race will decide the championship. I would say the odds for a number of reasons are strongly in Bruno's favor, but the math is certainly not over yet. It will be one of those two to take the crown from Las Vegas. Yeah, Luke, um, you know, in last week's show, I talked about Vance Mussolino, and I said, I don't know Vince, but I, you know, I, I get the feeling just through Facebook and watching this thing play out that he's just a family guy and living the dream and just loving life and enjoying the ride. And uh, Vince actually reached out to me this week and uh, and sent me a message and said, just want you to know that uh, you're hundred percent correct, that uh, he is living the dream and having a blast, just enjoying himself. So uh, I'm, I'm excited for him, obviously in a great position, uh, still going to travel West and do his thing out there, but pulling for events. It's like, we're best friends now. I mean, you reach out to me like that and, and tell me that I'm right. It's like the guy knows me. It's like, he knows how to get, get right here, Luke, right, right here in my fields. So, <laughs> so Vance, go get them, bro. Have a good time out there. Enjoy yourself and get it done. And as far as comp goes, you know, Bruno's probably a busy guy during this stretch. I doubt he's watching live right now, Luke. But there's Bruno, Bruno hasn't reached out to me yet, but there's no doubt Bruno's listening to this Friday morning when it's released uh, while he's in the gym. So, Bruno, congratulations. Looking real good for you. You know, I know you're, uh, you're appreciative of the podcast bump. And, um, well, you haven't been on the podcast, but, you know, we're, we're, we're talking a lot about you. So, that's kind of a podcast bump. So, while you're, uh, while you're doing legs this morning, Bruno, congrats. Great year. <laughs> All right. The WDRA World Champions were crowned last week, and the IHRA World Champions were crowned a couple of weeks ago. This weekend, Big Jet, we will crown the NHRA Summit ET Series World Champions in one of the most highly anticipated events of the season that is in Las Vegas this weekend as part of the national event. Obviously, it features the division champions from all seven NHRA geographic divisions, plus wild cards in each category. We've got the roster. Kudos to producer Mark for doing some dig in there, filling out this roster. Let's go through it class by class, Big Jed. Tell us who's competing, and then let's each 
make a prediction. Who's going to get this thing done? We'll start in Super Pro and it is loaded. There are a lot. It's oftentimes we'll have this runoff and you might know a name, might know two names. We know most of these names in Super Pro. This is a very familiar cast of characters. Yeah, no doubt, Luke. There's some uh, repeat offenders in here. There's some new faces, but a lot of talent nonetheless. In Super Pro, Division One representative is Billy Boyko. Division Two is Mike Valley. Division Three is Tony Virgilio. Division Four is Jacob Sterling. Division Five is Matt Driscoll. And that's when you know, by the way, on the list, that's when you know you've made it when you're just the freaking man because you just got him <laughs> as Driscoll. But that's good stuff. Division six is Zach Mazier. Division seven is a guy that used to come out here and race with us all the way from Arizona. Bad cat, still getting it done. Chuck Hawk. And the wild card, Luke, is the Division two race of champions winner, Mark Horton. As a guy we know fairly well as well. So tough, tough group right there in the Super Pro category, as it always is. I think, obviously, like there's some some big names in here. I think Driscoll is the most accomplished. And this race is still contested on the long track, right? Like last I checked, they were in quarter mile in Vegas. So I would give him, and then I guess the dragsters as a whole, a slight advantage. Like on paper, if you're laying odds, I, I think Driscoll probably would, would get the lion's share of bets. That said, I'll assume that neither of us are going that direction because we don't like to be predictable. Give me a winner, Big Jed. Who hoists the Wally on Sunday afternoon as the Super Pro World Champion? Lucas, uh, you know, these are always difficult. You know, you do have a, a one in eight chance of picking the winner. So the odds aren't just terrible. But when you look at that kind of talent, it certainly makes it a little more difficult. Um, being on the long track matters. Some familiarity with that type of speed and closure rate helps. We don't see that a lot out my way. So I am going to stay out West and I'm going to pick Chuck Hawk, the division seven racer, getting it done in super pro in Vegas. No one in this field that has made as many laps down the strip at Las Vegas Motor Speedway as one Chuck Hawk. He just won the Division 7 ET Finals at the same facility. Beat his wife on the final, by the way. I think we skimmed over that when it happened. Pretty cool. Yeah, pretty cool scenario there out in Division 7. That's a great pick, Jed. I'm I'm so torn on this. Like <clears throat> Tony Virgilio, he's coming from our area. Very, very talented, very accomplished racer. He's going to be in the mix. Jacob Sterling, who I'm not particularly familiar with, but dude almost had two entries in this. He won Super Pro in Division Four. He runnered up the No Box class in the same car. So that's something, right? Um, but those guys, and, and even to some extent, like Mark Horton, to, to your point, just don't get to stretch their legs very often on the long track. Like that's going to be a little bit different, especially in Vegas because it's so tricky to dial. But I just, I didn't realize Mark Horton was in this thing. Because he's he's the wild card. I didn't realize Division Two got the wild card this year for the race of champions. I I gotta go that way. I just got a feeling. I, I think this thing's going home to Florida, Big Jed. Give me Mark Horton if I got to pick one. Solid pick, definitely a solid pick. And I don't think you could make a bad pick out of that group. So be interesting to see uh, see if uh, East Coaster goes out there and gets it done. As I picked the West Coaster, so good stuff. Looking forward to watching that, Luke. Over in the pro category, which again, if you're from certain parts of the country, you might think that's a delay box aided category, but pro is 
trans brake allowed, but you leave on the bottom. You can't. We gotta we gotta there. work on that. We gotta get more uniform. It's very confusing. Agreed. Agreed. Definitely need to do that. Um, I remember the first stuff. time I went to the Good Time Big Jed, and they called Pro, and I'm sitting there like, when are they gonna call the Fast Class? Oh, that's me. I'm supposed to be up there. Gotcha. <laughs> that is the Fast Class at the Good Time. Uh, Luke in the Pro category, Division One is Mike LaRose. Division two is Jesse Edens. Division three is Randy Burwell. Division four is Jeff Rydell. Division five is Eugene Rousen. Division six is my dog, Steve Kelly. Wonder who I'm going to pick. Division seven is Sean Brewster. And it says Sean is in a fiat bodied altered with Zoomy. Definitely hard to pick against that. And the wild card is the Division Three Race of Champions winner, Luke, Mike Tool. That's T-E-W-E-L-L, not like a tool that you get out of the, the bag. So you get the first pick. Your thunder. I thought, I thought, I mean, you're gonna take Steve Kelly, obviously. I just Luke. All right. I'll let me make the argument for Steve Kelly and then I'll counter because I know that's where you're going. Steve <laughs> Kelly is. Perhaps, I think in my mind anyway, it's it's Steve Kelly and Jeff Rydell is the most recognizable names, the most accomplished racers on this list. Steve Kelly, super talented, very experienced, and races on the long track week in and week out. And I'm just telling you that matters because the bulk of these competitors might see the long track once, twice a year, if that. And I think that that's heavily plays into his advantage. That said, I know that's your boy. I know that's where you're going. And it would be boring if we had the same picks. So I will take a very accomplished, very talented racer from my neck of the woods, Big Jed. Give me Mike Tool in that awesome little Monte Carlo. Every picture I see of it, it's like head high wheelies. I like it. Give me Mike Tool. So you can pick Steve. Okay. Awesome pick. Obviously, uh, you know where I'm headed. A lot of respect for, I I know several of these guys on this list, a lot of respect for them, but it is just a different animal out there, Luke. Uh, Racing at Vegas is is challenging. The car is probably not going to run the same thing that it runs at your home track through the eighth of a mile. It's, It's going to be slower. It's, you know. The car is not going to run what it runs at home. And you are in Las Vegas. It's very possible, if not likely, that the car is not going to run the same thing that it ran last round, like ever over the course of the six runs that you're going to make. (laughs) A good amendment. And Luke, as you and I both know, that's a place where the wind will get to, and, and it don't blow like it blows at home. All of you coming from out here in my neck of the woods, you know, we get that, that 12, 13 mile an hour and it's like man the wind's trying to blow me off the track the wind blows there and it'll blow 30 35 miles an hour and as long as it's not something that's really putting the racers in danger you race in it and it might be in your grill and it might be in your tailpipes or it might be in your door you just never really know it's a crazy place to race i think experience is going to come in handy when you look at the experience that steve kelly has and then talent matters too. And, and Steve's as talented as anybody. So I'm going with my dog, Steve Kelly, to win the pro national championship in Vegas. All right, Luke, sportsman category. Now that's where they really are foot breaking and leaving on the bottom. These are these are the, the realist race. They're not aided by anything. They're in street capable vehicles for the most part. Can't go but, uh, but 12 flat 
in the in the quarter mile, which is going to be, uh, you know, I guess an eight second car or seven fifty, I think seven fifty, I think is how fast uh, that that equates to. So, not super fast cars. Even Champ is too fast for this guy. He would even have to slow down or hold more. One of the two. So that puts <laughs> it in perspective. So, Luke, this category is again full of talented talented racers. Division one runner is Denny Renninger. Division two, absolute legendary racer Van Greer. Division three, James Ring. Division four, Gage Wilson. Division five, Joseph Moriarty. Moriarty. Division six, Jake Biscay. Division seven, AJ Crater. Apparently, AJ has a name on the car, which you don't see in Sportsman much. What's that name, Luke? If you can't tell by my parentheses, I I pulled up this information from via the Division 7 Facebook page. I got their champions, and they've got pictures. That's where I saw the the center steer altered Fiat body with zoomies. That is the, the it's the West Coastest thing you've ever seen, Big Jet. He's probably going to win, right? But that's, <laughs> that's your pro eliminator uh, entrant from D7. And Mr. Crater is in a Mustang. It's a gray Mustang with huge green letters on the door that says the parasitic psycho. I don't know exactly what that means, but it's a catchy name, Big Jeb. It is be a story behind because it. it because it's got psycho in it. It makes it a little catchy. Um, I don't know what parasitic is. Is that is that when you've been uh, impacted or uh, uh, infected by a parasite? Yeah, it, it's assume. like. A, a, a parasite would would latch on to the the body or something along those lines. So it, it, parasitic would be something that that latches on. Yeah. Again, like I don't. Okay, there's got to so, be a story behind. Okay. Okay. Um. So obviously, AJ seemingly in attack mode with a name like that on the side of his car. Nice. Um, I like it. Yeah. He's uh he's also paired with someone I'm sure he knows, which is the Division Seven Race of Champions winner as the wild card. And that is David Rudd. So, Luke, you know, Steve Kelly has slept on one of my couches upstairs. Although he's in Washington, I, I that's a homer pick. I mean, he's my boy. He's my dog. So that was a homer pick, although we're 2,700 miles apart. I obviously am a homer pick type of guy. How can I pick anyone other than Van Greer? He's from my division. He races our events at Bristol Dragway. He is, he's legendary for all the equipment that he's brought out and raced over the years and certainly very, very accomplished. Easily, no offense to anyone, easily the most accomplished racer in this sportsman category. Uh, I'm going with Van Greer. Easy pick for me. In that way no. myself, to be completely honest, I, it would be a, it would be a, a shoe in for me if the Suburban was making the trip to Las Vegas, completely over, over. That said, I'm going to go a little different direction, Big Jed. Gage Wilson, who won the sportsman category in Division Four in his first attempt, who is one of the winningest junior dragster drivers in the history of the conference finals. I believe he's won three of them, perhaps even four. He can get it done, right? Kids, obviously, he's very young, very talented, comes from a racing family that has been very accomplished. Father Tim, Uncle Jeremy. Um, it would not surprise me one bit to see him hoist this Wally and kind of kick off the next stage of his racing career. Give me Gage Wilson to win the Sportsman World Championship. Well, what I like about you, Luke, is you know you you have a foundation 
for every reason, every statement and every pick you make. That was a tremendous foundation for your pick of Gage Wilson. I love it. And I am definitely pulling for Gage to run her up to Van Greer. Talented group. Always fun to watch. Before, right, we last... get, before we get to the EV category, because I know everyone is on the edge of their seats to hear what we've got to say about the EV category. It's not a polarizing topic at all. Parasitic is an adjective, meaning living on another orga- organism. Parasitic. Just so we're on the same page. Okay. Parasitic psycho. I still don't get it, but I imagine there's a good story. Look, simple yes or no answer. Yes. If you if you had asked prior to that, if you had asked AJ Crater to give you the definition of parasitic, could AJ have even gotten close to the definition? I'll say yes. And we lost Chet again. Great timing. All right. I'll say yes. Yes. Obviously, AJ Crater knows the definition of it. It's, it's in big green letters on the side of his car. What are we talking about? The EV category for the second time will crown a national champion in EV. Some familiar names in the fold. Division one represented by one Danny Hoff. He was there a year ago. Division seven represented by one Craig Merrilies. He was there a year ago. He won it a year ago. Those two, I think it's fair to say right now, like when you think EV competitors that have been successful in a wide range, like those two are, are the top of the class. Um, so I think it's fair to say that when presented with this, when handicapping this, the vast majority of us would pick one of those two. That said, the other competitors in the field, Division Two will be represented by Ross Gold. Division Three, Josh Rogers. Division Four, Brian Tilson. Kevin Rolfe will represent Division Five. Sherry Wilson will represent Division Six. And we're going to go with Mystery Racer. We could not determine who the wild card uh, entrant will be in the EV category. So not sure there. It's Hoff. It's Merrilies. <sighs> Merrilies seems to have this EV stuff really figured out. It's hard to bet against him. But I just think like that's 1A, 1B. And I and I know Danny's an, a loyal listener, listener, hashtag loyal listener. I think he's here tonight. So just not just because I want to grease the wheels of a loyal listener, because I think it's kind of a coin flip between those two. And since I say that, like they neither one will make the final, but I'll go with Danny Hoff to win the EV World Championship, take that all the way back to Division One, And I'll just assume, since we've lost Big Jed, at least for the time being, I'll just assume that Big Jed would go with... Okay. Oh, oh, okay, okay. I just assume that Big Jed would go with... Uh, with Craig Merrilies, but we've got we've got input from Jed to give me Ross Gold. I don't know if he's familiar with Ross's work or if it's just strictly a homer pick because Ross is representing the Southeast Division. But give me Danny Hoff, give Jed Ross Gold. Danny is in the chat. He says, I am here and I am ready to redeem myself. Best of luck to you, Danny Hoff. We will definitely be watching and keeping tabs on that. That's it for this week's show. Um, as always. Follow us along, Sportsman Drag Racing Facebook page. Ched does this part. I don't even know what I don't even know what he says. Tweet us. I'm at Luke Bogacki, B-O-G-A-C-K-I. He's at JP11X. I do remember that part. Shouts. I do have some shouts. I do have some shouts. Shouts to Jed's internet. That's been fun today. Shouts. Where do I want to start here? Shouts to the parasitic psycho. A hundred percent. Hope he wins. Just, just for the story aspect of it. Shouts to pissed off dragster racers. Shouts to, to, to Donnie do what Donnie do. Jed say something like that. What Donnie do. Shouts to kissing your sister. 
And shouts to what Jed said, the sportsmen, sportsman racers are the realest. Shouts to the real ones, real ones and sportsmen like AJ Crater and Van Greer and Gage Wilson. All right. That's all we've got here today. Thank you for listening. As always, be sure to join us back next week. Refer a friend to the show. We would appreciate it. We'll be back. What is it, Jed says? We'll be back next week with more Sportsman Dragons. Enrollment in This Is Bracket Racing Elite is now open. You've heard me discuss or at least reference This Is Bracket Racing Elite. It is the premier offering of our website, thisisbracketracing.com. Elite is a membership community designed specifically to help you get from where you are today as a racer to who you want to be as a racer. Led by knowledgeable professionals, Justin Lamb and myself are longtime instructors and we bring in a host of guests, racers that you know, racers that you respect, led by knowledgeable instructors and surrounded by supportive peers that are ultimately striving for the same goal in their own unique way. The truth is at each event, there are a hundred plus entries. There's one winner. At the end of each season, there's one champion. That feeling, not so much the money, not so much the trophy, that feeling of achievement, that sense of accomplishment, that tip of the cap from your peers, that's why we do this. You can dream of that feeling all you want, or you can take action, take steps toward becoming that racer. If you're ready to take the first step, this is Bracket Racing Elite is for you. Enrollment is open now for a limited time. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite before we close the doors again on December the 8th.